Welcome to G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gans along with Mike Miller. And this is G220 Radio. We want to welcome you to the program. Um, if you are watching with us, uh, I believe you are only watching with us on YouTube because uh, for some reason it doesn't seem to be pulling up on Facebook. So uh, we'll have to put something out there on the YouTube or Facebook page to let people know that if they want to tune in, they need to come over to our YouTube channel because for whatever reason it did not. It didn't take, Mike. I just kind of noticed that. Um, so, mm -hmm. but other than that, we'll go put something on the Facebook page. Mike, why don't you go ahead and tell them how you're doing there, and I'll go. I'll go deal with that and let people know to come over here on YouTube. So yeah, doing pretty good, I guess. <clears throat> We're ready for some proverbs. Getting back into it. It's always nice. We're almost done. We got like what seven chapters left so that's exciting then we'll have to think of a new series to actually finish or a third series to finish now we'll have awkward silence okay you got to keep it moving man you got to keep it rolling i'm trying to get this posted over here so i guess we can just Think about Proverbs. It's always good to be reminded about what the point of Proverbs, what Proverbs teaches us. You know, kind of the running definition that we've had is this idea of a Proverbs is a pithy statement. And it's God's wisdom to us. So they're pithy. So they have depths and their applications are wide. They make us to think about God's worlds and God's way. Unlike other Proverbs in the ancient Near East, which was popular. Um, Egypt has them. Babylonia has them. Um, the Proverbs of Solomon are from God and his inspired word and built upon the moral law. And so there's their element is 
I guess we can say found in the moral law in which helps us as we kind of, we know it, that the, the law can be summed up to love God and to love your neighbor. And the Proverbs call us to think about how that, what that means in their world, in our world, in the world God has made. And so as we think about here in Proverbs 23, the importance, especially early on here about wealth and money and um, being before kings is to, to really evaluate, does our life match up with the wisdom of the Proverbs? Now, pro the Proverbs are not promises, so just because you do them doesn't mean you'll get the result per se of what will happen, but they are how God has ordered his world. And in general, people who are made in the image of God those sinners, when they enact to God's wisdom, they will receive the benefits in which God has given into the world. Now, they'll never be fully changed, and they will never fully have wisdom, because wisdom is only found in knowing God. Mm -hmm. But they would st we still see wisdom of our world reflective of the greater wisdom that comes from God. Yeah. Yeah. Amen, brother. Yep, absolutely. And so we're going to be doing Proverbs 23 tonight. Um, we're going to cover verses one through 12. Uh, and, and we're actually breaking this down in three parts because when we get to do these Proverbs show, we've, we try to break them down. We, we were trying to do them all in one show. And depending on the length of a proverb, we we were kind of, I don't know if we've ever really made the hour on that. <laughs> we, no, I think we went over maybe an hour and a half or so. Um, and then when we had guests, maybe even a little longer. But uh, um, so we broke it down into two parts. And then even that, trying to cover two parts in one show is can be difficult. And so we, we've broken this down into three parts. Uh, to get through Proverbs 23. And I guess that would be, or it will be helpful, I think, because then we can kind of take our time and work through this without trying to rush and trying to, you know, get to the end of where we're we're set up for, for that program. Um, but it doesn't seem like we're working over on Facebook. So again, for those that are listening, obviously you're only listening on YouTube. Uh, but um, yeah, this is why it would be great to have those, an individual that works with us that's behind the scenes and kind of, you know, doing all this information for us while we're on the show. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, but uh, we're here. We're going to talk about Proverbs 23, as Mike was saying, wisdom of God. We got this wisdom book, wisdom literature, uh, and we're going to look at it here tonight. So Proverbs 23, um, let's go ahead and get into this. And I'm going to go ahead and read the first two verses together, uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, these first two. So it says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you. And verse two, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. And I'll tell you, when I first read that, when I opened this up to study this, uh, to prepare for this program, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's yeah, a tough one. Um, but we're going to get into it here. So when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you uh, and put a knife to your throat if you are given 
to appetite. So when you think about this sitting down with a ruler, you're sitting down with someone of noble ability, someone that is a ruler, a king, uh, a subordinate ruler, um, a nobleman, a judge, a civil magistrate. You think of when you're going to sit down with a person of um, status, prominence, you know, with authority, uh, it's saying here to observe carefully what is before you, right? So you sit down, you at this table, you're feasting with kings or you're feasting with maybe the president of the United States. I'm trying to think. I had Thanksgiving with President Bill Clinton at the time, but it was in an open chow room with a bunch of soldiers. Mm -hmm. He came to Kosovo to visit us while we were overseas. So he, we, he was in there and he sat down and ate, but it was a big chow room. Um, that's probably the, depending on whether or not you like Bill Clinton, um, which is not somebody I would vote for, but he was still the president in the United States. And I'm thinking like, I don't know if I've had sat down with anybody and it wasn't in close community. I mean, we were spread out in there, but where you're sitting down and eating a, a dinner together, I think it was a Thanksgiving dinner um, with someone of that kind of prominence of authority. I don't know, Mike, have you ever had an opportunity to sit down with someone or, or even if it wasn't to the degree of a president or something like that, someone who was, you know, a nobleman or, or what we would consider a nobleman of today or. No, no, I don't think so. Not at least I can recall. I mean, I still see Osama bin Laden, not Osama bin Laden, Osama Obama. Sorry. Oh no, I got the, <laughs> that's I a great comparison. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, Obama. That was, that was a Floridian slip. I guess the Obama golf that's the closest I've been to a U.S. president. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what do you think about this when you when you sit down with someone um, of this type of status? It's telling you to observe carefully what is before you, what's in mm -hmm. front of you. And then verse two, it says to put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. And when you think about this, when you're sitting down with a ruler um, and to consider the things that are careful before you, it's consider what you partake of, what you take in. And it's going to flow in this, this chapter. We're going to see there's a lot here talking about the delicacies and the, the types of food that you're going to eat when you're sitting down with someone else. Because what can happen is you can become a glutton with this food that's there, uh, you can become, depending on what you're drinking, you could become a, be a drunkard during this time and act a fool. Um, I know that there are times when in my military life where we went downtown as an unbeliever and you, you drink too much and you eat too much and you in, enjoy what you think is enjoying a night on the town with your, your army buddies or your, your friends. And then you come back and you're saying things in front of people that, you wouldn't say if you wasn't inebriated like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're, you're taking these things and even we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but even because um, it's going to come up again, but even if you're sitting there and you're enjoying the meal and you're just taking it in and, and um, uh, you're not doing it in a, in a, a manner that is careful as it's telling you to do it, but you're not considering these things. You're just not doing it in moderation. Um, you're just indulging in this. Uh, these desires and allowing that to overtake you, you can become very comfortable where you start to say and speak about things that maybe you wouldn't have if you weren't so comfortable in saying things that could get you in, yourself into trouble, lead you into the wrong path. Yeah. And we think about what 
chapter 22 ended with. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not st stand before obscure men. And so verse 1 here, chapter 23, is kind of relating to how do we have proper etiquette in those type of situations. Mm -hmm. When you are skillful enough to be able to stand before the king, you're invited to a feast, just be aware of your surroundings. You're not, you know, if you're at a, a state dinner at the White House, you're not hanging out at a party with your friends. And be understanding of the situation you're in and act accordingly. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you you mentioned it. If you're given into the appetite, the desires, whatever that may be, the, the Hebrew here um, is kind of like this owning this. It's used in other places here in Hebrews to talk about different, um, different desires, not necessarily like food appetite. Mm -hmm. This is kind of related, but so you have this kind of respect and decorum that you're had. And if you desire to go above that, to, um, be one who doesn't want to respect the decorum of where you're at, it's to, to kill it. To mm -hmm. stop it, you have right. you have those prohibitions about plucking out our eyes, like when you're right. causing to sin and doing what you need to to stop it. And that's mm -hmm. what the, the Solomon is trying to tell us: is be observant of the decorum around you and act accordingly. Mm -hmm. Don't, like you said, be given into gluttony or drunkenness or even foolishness in the amount of talking that you may do. Right but to to act respectfully because that's um what is going to happen and if you act like a fool it's going to you're going to be disgraced mm -hmm. and so there is a an idea of who you're before and the power they have impacting your life right yeah. Um, and then that's, I think when you mentioned it already, but that verse there to put a knife to your throat, if you're given an appetite, like you said, it's to kill it. It's, it's to end it there. Mm -hmm. This is not being literal of, you know, like ending yourself. It's as you've already brought up, it's the same thing that Jesus mentions. Look, if your hand causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cut it off. Not literally. Nobody's telling you to go in and physically cut off your hand or cut your eye out, take your eye out, pluck it out. And, and, and Solomon here in this wisdom that he's giving us is not saying, you know, end your life here, but he's saying, look, cut that off. Don't, don't go any further in that. What does the, what does the scripture say about where there's many words? Mm -hmm. There's folly that abounds or sin that follows. So if you're in this situation, like you said, um, don't embarrass yourself. Don't, don't caught, don't fall into the temptations and allow yourself to be sinful because you've you've become very comfortable in this environment, you're you're in with these noblemen, these kings, or these rulers, or whoever it may be, and you're so comfortable. You're you're being a glutton. You maybe you're drinking some of the wine or the beer or whatever it may be, and you're inebriated, and then you're acting like a fool, right? I mean, I think about um, maybe we can relate to this. I think I've seen from examples of times where I've gone to a wedding. And a family member or friend is getting married and it's a joyous occasion, but there's that one person there 
that just did not control themselves and drank way too much. And it's like, that's what everybody was talking about after the wedding. Like, did you see how so-and-so was acting? Like, man, that was crazy. Yeah. Right. Because they were given to this. They, they didn't allow the, the ability, they didn't have the ability to, to cut it off and say, no, no more. I'm here to celebrate them, not to act a fool and, and get wild yeah. and crazy here. Yeah. Again, it just that same thing, you know, just being aware of where you're at being, it's not about you, you know, and, and that, in right. some of that way and just having self-control, this calls us to have self-control over our, our appetites or desires and what we want to do. Yeah. Ecclesiastes five, two says, do not, uh, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word. Mm -hmm. And so it's, again, wanting to consider, you know, and that's Solomon, again, who's giving us this wisdom to consider what uh, is before us. All right, so verse 3, it says, uh, Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. And again, we're still continuing this theme. We're going to see this throughout these, these 12 verses here. Uh, but do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so you're at the king's feast. I think this continues on for verse one and two. Mm -hmm. um, and that you shouldn't desire kind of this to be always invited to the feasting and the parties because they're deceptive. Mm -hmm. He's doing these great things for you. You get to come, but they're, they have alternative motive motives. And so to desire these things, is then to get sucked into do kind of these um alternative motives and what they do it's kind of the well i invited you to the parties so can't you just help me out that kind of mentality this i've done something great for you you need to do something for me kind of that stored up check and so when we consider and think about what this is is it's they do this kind of for a reason and don't be caught up in the, the pomp and circumstance of the event and understand kind of why they are, um, are doing it and wanting to do it. And so just don't be kind of desire desirous and feeding your ego about, Ooh, I get to dine with the ruler, the King, the president, the president of the company I work for or whatever that may be, wherever you find yourself into. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you think about this too, um, this desiring these delicacies um, and it says these, for they are deceptive food, as you mentioned, one of the things is it goes back to, again, what we've kind of mentioned. If you get yourself drunk and you get yourself, you know, all uh, inebriated to the point where you, you can't control yourself, uh, you may produce yourself to be sick in this environment. Right. And then the other thing as mentioned here, the, when you're around these individuals, they may be seeking to draw out information from you again, because mm -hmm. when you're, when you're very comfortable and how often do we sit around with friends and we're enjoying some, some dinner or we're enjoying a, a meal together, we become so comfortable that we say things again, this goes back to verses one and two. And, and even here it's continuing this, this thought, we say things that we normally would be more reserved to say. We speak foolishly. We say things. Maybe we start slandering. Maybe we start gossiping. 
maybe we start doing something that is um, unbecoming of a Christian character that that God is calling us to not do, that Solomon is 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 warning us of. But then these this individual is using this opportunity to draw out lies, to draw out these these uh, um, information from you, right? So this is what Solomon again, I think, is is warning us here. Yeah. All right. So verse four, it says, uh, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to detest it. So this idea, and we've talked about this in other Proverbs as well, this idea of seeking out the wealth. Imagine if you're sitting with a king, you're eating with his, him, and you have all these delicacies and all these wonderful treats and delights in front of you. And you feel important because you're sitting with this important individual. This would cause you to desire wealth. And so we shouldn't be desiring um, and be anxious for the the wealth or to, to do everything so that we become weary uh, in trying to acquire this wealth and doing it for the wrong gain. It's not that it's wrong to work, to provide for your family, uh, to maybe store up some money to where you can build something for your children, your grandchildren. Um, it's not wrong to, to, to maybe store up some money so that you can give to help others. But to have the wrong motive of this, because we're not storing up treasures here on, he on earth, we want to store up treasure in heaven, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me, so in the gaining of wealth, it's not wrong to gain wealth so long as the wealth that you're gaining is not because you're seeking this notoriety. Um, because uh, this is, again, what Solomon, I think, is, is warning us of, um, to be discerning uh, of this, not to be wanting to be on the in crowd by if I could just get this wealth here, I'll be like these noblemen. I'll be uh, someone of importance. Um, and we'll see even a little later here that that flies away. It's, you know, it, it, it doesn't last. Mm -hmm. And Solomon makes mention of this in Ecclesiastes. You've already mentioned it once. So it's good thinking of again about the person who works and works and works and acquires this great wealth when he dies, he yeah. loses it all. Right. It's the, the acquiring of wealth for whatever purpose is never satisfied. And in the end, you lose it all. And so the desire, the motive to constantly acquire more, more money, more status, whatever that brings in the money only leads down to an unfulfilling path mm -hmm. in the end. Yeah. That's why you see it a lot. <clears throat> we think of Jesus. You can't serve two masters. You can't right. serve God and money. And there is this tendency to think about, well, only if I had more wealth, we can do this. We can do that. And, and in some sense that is true, mm -hmm. but it's, the the acquiring because if you desire wealth again what paul says the root of um not nah, as the love of money is the root of all evil yeah the, yeah the, the love of money is the root of all evil so when you desire that wealth there is a temptation there to acquire it unethically 
mm-hmm. to to continue to do things and we've already we have seen that throughout this kind of um throughout proverbs in a different way and so again it calls us to think about not only the good things god gives to us god gives to us good gifts he gives us i mean he blessed abraham immensely abraham was a very rich guy for his mm-hmm. for his time period but abraham though rich did not desire to acquire wealth in this funneling like the king of Sodom right. kind of wanted to do when he tried to give a tribute to Abraham. And so again, it just it makes us to think about who is the one we serve? Are we going to serve God with a, a, our whole heart who gives us all of our wealth? Or are we going to try to serve kind of this creaturely created thing for our mm-hmm. own status? Yeah. And the so we, you know, talking about don't totally to acquire it. We also need the wisdom to know when we have gone, our desires have changed to be discerning enough to stop, mm-hmm. to stop pursuing that. Right. And I think that's what Solomon in Ecclesiastes is helping us to do is the vaporous life, the vanity life is here today it is gone tomorrow and we need to consider what we do in that time frame yeah and i realize a lot of people and i heard this um this past sunday about kind of the gloominess of ecclesiastes i don't think that's the message we're to see from it we should see from ecclesiastes that all the vain things we attack to we try to gain will leave us empty but god calls us to love our wives, to do our work diligently, to raise up our kids, and to obey God's commands. And mm-hmm. that's a fulfilling life. That's our chief end. That's the goal of our lives. And so we need the wisdom to realize when we are focusing too much on work and possessions and thinking we can do, have all of this time and focus on the one who rules all of it. Yeah. You know, it, it makes me think of... Um at my job, I've, I've seen guys who have retired, um, and passed away, um, after retirement. But I remember having uh, one guy in particular who gave a speech at his retirement and said to all of us, when I was, I was brand new at my job, young guy said, don't use your vacation time. Don't use your sick time. You know, you can cash it all in at the end and retire early. Right. And I thought to myself, that just sounds miserable. So not that you want to be sick and use up all your sick time, but the idea of never taking vacation, never using your vacation time. I want to be around and enjoy my children growing and go on vacations and do things with my family that they will remember and it will be a blessing to them and a blessing to me to think about these memories that were created with my family right? I don't want to wait until they're grown. And now I've got all this free time in my, because I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago, that song, the cat in the cradle, right? So now I've worked and worked and worked and now I'm free and my children are all grown up and their time is not now focused to where they can go and enjoy things with me. And like I said, I've watched so many people that I've worked with who retire 
And shortly after retirement, they've died. So they had all these plans for retirement, what they were going to do. And then they didn't very live very long after that. So again, why are we storing up these treasures for these riches that are going to vapor? Our days are going to vapor. They're like a vapor. They're, they're going to evaporate. They're going to be gone is what I was going to say. And <clears throat> rather than enjoying the time that God has given to us, uh, utilizing it wisely and being a good steward of it, being a good steward of the time that you have with your family, and loving your children and watching them grow and experiencing those things with them as they're growing, um, rather than waiting until they're all grown. All right, so verse uh, uh, five, continuing all, also along this thought, it says, "When the light, when your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flies, or flying like an eagle towards heaven." So again, speaking, thinking about this money, you're chafing, chasing after this wealth. You're chasing after it. You get your eyes focused upon it, and then it's gone. Is gone. And the thing I, I was thinking about when I when when this came up is, and I'm sure we can all relate, I know I can, is when it's tax time and you're thinking, oh, this is what we're getting in income tax. Okay, when this comes in, we're gonna comp we're gonna get this and this and this taken care of, or we're gonna do these things. And then the money comes, and it's like those things that was on your priority list of what you needed to or was gonna do, it doesn't happen. Because something else came up. The car broke down. We had to put money in for the car. Um, something else came up. And then that took away. You know, now you need tires or something. Man, tires are not cheap for vehicles. You know, car repairs are not cheap. So you have an idea. Okay, we're going to maybe pay this off or we're going to do this. And then it's like, nope, it's gone. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It is gone. And so we look at those things as, as Christians as, hey, we did have other plans for this. But God knew we was going to need it for these car repairs or God knew we was going to need it for this, for the tires or something else that we needed to get fixed or accomplished or something in the house that needed, was broken and needed repaired. And so God gave it to us at the right time for that, even though we may have had other plans for it. We see it as a blessing, but some people are looking at these things and again, it's here and then it's gone. Um, what is it? The the riches with the, the, the verse where it talks about the moths come and eat it away. You try to store up your... Your wealth and treasures, just, yeah, yeah, treasures are gone. Permanent amount, yep, yeah. And I think, and, and you think about it, you know, you have it. Your lights, when your eyes light on it, you see it. It's in the grasp, and you're going for it, and it's gone, and it vanishes. I mean, mm -hmm. the the imagery for it suddenly sprouts wings, flying yeah. like an eagle towards heaven. It's it's there, and then it's gone from your sight. And it's mm -hmm. the commentators kind of looking at it saying like it's gone forever mm -hmm. and that's the fleeting aspect of wealth it's never satisfied there's always more like you're saying you know you can plan and it is is never enough you always want more that's the desire of riches and to to think about the what what is sure what stays and again it i think it, it focuses on that we have to have something different and the only thing that we know is sure and steady is god who does not grow weary or tired he is always with us he doesn't suddenly disappear and to consider and to lean on the rock of our salvation. Again, 
we can think about the things that we want to do. I mean, the situation I am, I have a basement half finished. I want to finish it, get it done. But the circumstance that I find myself in that God has um, put us in may make us made. It's going to take us longer. The, the money's no longer there to, to finish out the repairs and to think about, I mean, just in our own lives, there's always more, there's more to be done than what you have. Mm -hmm. And we, we have to think about that you know the brand new toy you give your kids and six months later like they haven't played with it like there's always the new thing it's there and then it's gone mm -hmm. i think and that's it really is again causes us to think about what matters most in our life yeah all right, these next two verses I'm going to read together here, uh, verses 6 and 7. It says, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, kind of as I mentioned earlier with verse 3, here that was with a ruler and the delicacies you see it come up again you have this man who is stingy he he may i guess flash the cash in one sense and pay for you but the call is to don't desire there's delicacies because he's plotting he's mm -hmm. scheming it's this um look what i've done to you now you can Look at me, help with me. I think it was John Gill was talking about this verse about how they always desire more than what they've given you. Mm -hmm. They desire, yeah, they desire more from you than what they have given to you. And so a stingy man is going to act in a way that will bring him, benefit him at your expense. And he's plotting his eat and drink. But he's there to he wants you to do that because it's he's looking to use you in a way that benefits him. He's manipulative in his desires. Again, I think you see kind of that love of money being played out in the evil that he's doing. And so mm -hmm. the call is to not desire that, to not be, again, one who once the 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 wealth the privilege that comes with being in with these people the stingy man seemingly is one who is rich they tend to be in that way and so there's again to think about who the kind of the character of the person he's stingy what does this say about him and then think about how that affects just when he invites you, when you do things. I think it calls us to be ones who is also willing to give without receiving back. Mm -hmm. Call us to be a generously a generous giver. And I think the New Testament, um, especially in in the church context of tithes and offerings, give what you can to the church to. Because God loves a gracious giver. God is a gracious giver. 
And the stingy person isn't like God. He is not a gracious giver. He's going to want back what he gives and he's going to want it more than what he actually has given. Yeah. And this next verse here, uh, I think does go along with this as well. It says you will vomit up the morsels uh, that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. And I think along with what you were saying there, Mike is, you know, um, when you're at a place where this person's a stingy person, they've invited you for other motives to, to try to benefit themselves in some way, shape or form. Um, and when you realize this, when you recognize this, because uh, you can see by their actions, by their words, uh, just by their mannerisms towards you, that they don't really want you there. They're doing it for their own benefit for some reason, again. Um, and when you recognize this, you realize this, it's like you will vomit up these morsels that you, you, you will dis despise what you've partook in and, and, and in, enjoyed. Um, and you won't waste your pleasant words on them. You, you, you may have come there and you was given good pleasantries and greetings and, Oh, it's so great to see you. And then it's like, nah, I'm not, I'm not, not, not doing that. I'm not saying these things because now that, that what was seemed bitter or what seemed sweet has turned bitter, you know? Um, and we have to guard ourselves as Christians from becoming bitter in some of these situations. But I think of my own, an example, uh, for an example for the, for this, as I think about these three verses is, and I want to be careful how I, how I say this, uh, let's just say I, uh, a friend comes to visit from out of town and they want to get together with as many people as they can, cause they're not from the town and they only have a limited time, mm -hmm. but someone specifically wants to do everything at their place and wants to have people come and come over there, but they're not really willing to invite you. But the person that's coming in from town wants to see all these people. And they're like, Hey, can you make sure so-and-so will be there? And so then they call you at the last minute. Now, this is from experience. I've had this happen to me. They call you at the last minute and say, Hey, we're kind of putting something together. If you guys can't come, like I understand, but you know, um, we'd like for you to come over. Uh, so-and-so is in town and they want to get to see everybody. And you can tell, like, they don't really want me there, but because they're trying for the benefit of having this person at their place and trying to enjoy this time, you're kind of like, ah, eh, come on a little bit with it, you know? Um, that's just a small example thing, but it's something I've seen and experienced myself. And it's like, okay, do we really want to go? Do we really want to be if you don't want us to be there? If we're going to go there and you're going to treat us coldly or whatever, just because you don't really want us there, but because so-and-so is coming into town, you want to... I, you just, you can see those things. Those things are noticeable. Uh -huh. They're evident, right? And again, you want to guard yourself from becoming bitter and, and hateful towards people or uh, cutting them off. Because as Christians, you want to be able to utilize your opportunities to give people the gospel, tell them about Jesus, to give them wisdom that will uh, actually manifest to something spiritual, you know, because Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so you want to be able to give them these things. You don't want to break those uh, opportunities or, or, um, not break those opportunities, but, um, uh, miss those opportunities, I should say, but those things do happen in life. And so we need to be mindful of those things. We need to be mindful that we don't do those things to people, you know, um, <clears throat> because we want to genuinely care for and love people and be a blessing to others. We don't want to try to manipulate situations or inviting people over for our own benefit, right? but rather because we, we desire to, to spend time and enjoy the company of, of others. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we think about verse eight within six and seven is that 
um, I think we've had that experience hindsight that I shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have gone to that place. I haven't, shouldn't have partaked. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're like, you respected the decorum because of how the, the stingy person acts, um, you know, hindsight's always 2020. You always mm-hmm. see eventually what it is. And I think it calls us, um, all three verses calls us to think about, you know, what, is the motive to try to see you may not it's it's sometimes hard to see the motives in the moment and let's acknowledge that and there's wisdom to be had and to experience that um but to like if you're hearing these things about a person that should really you should really consider about why you want to go what are your motives because like you said verse eight you vomit up the morsel, the morsel that you've eaten. Like, who enjoys that aspect of their lives? Um, mm. Being sick, um, you've wasted words. These people that you were nice to um, were kind of these words were wasted at them. And again, it just calls us to think about the situation, to look what's before us, and and to act in accordingly, so that we're not intentionally harming ourselves mm-hmm. in because of what people are doing because yeah. people are sinful. Yeah. Now this next verse, um, I want to give a little bit of uh, commentary here before we get into it. This is, this is cause it's funny to me. Um, this morning uh, I got up early. I got up about two hours early before I needed to get ready to go to work. And, you know, I, I, I like to go to the kitchen table, um, sit down, and, and read uh, and study. And since this was our, our topic for tonight, I wanted to read through this again and kind of look at it and hit some of my notes and whatnot. And so I'm out there, I'm sitting, you know, I'm, I'm, I just woke up out of bed. I'm, I'm not dressed for work or anything yet. And, and Piper comes out, my little girl, she's six and she comes out and she's like, daddy, you're not dressed. And I said, no, I mean, I was dressed in my pajamas, but she's like, you're not, you're not, you don't have to work today. I said, no, I got to work, but I don't have to get ready yet. And so she comes over, she sits on my lap. And I'm studying and I'm looking at this and then I'm like, hey, can you sit over here? Because I'm, I'm I'm trying to write like some notes and whatnot. And so she sits next to me in the other chair and I read this first and I'm, I'm out loud. I'm like, do not speak in the hearing of a fool for he will despise the good sense of your words. And she says to me, she says, I'm hearing you, but I'm not a fool. <laughs> and I, I about lost it. I'm like, no, I'm not saying you're a fool, sweetheart. I'm like, let me try to help explain this to you. But it just, again, side note, it's a testament of your children listen to things, right? Yeah. She was kind of on the side, started to play with her, you know, do her own little thing. And I'm reading this out loud and she just hears it and is like, I'm hearing you, but I'm not a fool. <laughs> so it was funny. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, but yeah, do not speak in the hearing of a fool for he will despise the good sense of your words. Now this fool is somebody who's, it, you know, we, we think of uh, when it talks about in, in um, uh, Matthew 6, where it says, judge not. No, Matthew 7, I'm sorry, judge not. And it says, do not cast pearls before swine or give that which is holy to dogs. Because a fool despises wisdom. A fool does not desire it. It actually, uh, a fool is actually one who mocks and who ridicules wisdom. Uh, they ridicule the preacher of wisdom, the preacher of God's word. They ridicule it. Um, and so 
This is when it says, do not speak in the hearing of a fool. He will despise the good sense of your words. He doesn't care about the truth. He doesn't care about the wisdom. He despises it. And so we have to exercise discernment at times and recognize Mm -hmm. those situations um, and realize, okay, is this shaking off the dust of my feet and moving on kind of situation? Uh, Because I don't want to cast these pearls before swine. Um, And if this person is being foolish, uh, there is what the Proverbs say, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he think he's wise in his own eyes. But then also do, um, uh, what is it? Don't answer. Yeah, don't answer uh, uh, um, a, fool a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. So there are those times where you you need to exercise that discernment. Yeah, I think the par- the New Testament parable to casting your pearls before swine works. Mm-hmm. And just having... You know, just that wisdom to know when to speak truth and when to maybe sit and listen and wait and to be willing to let their let the consequences of their foolishness, foolishness comes back. Obviously, we want to direct them. We want to give them the gospel. Mm-hmm. But again, there's wisdom in when to to do that and to think about, you know, is this the proper time or should I wait? Like in a heat of an argument, it's probably not the good time to do it. There may be, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath to think about what can I do to to bring this down. And so, yeah, it just calls us to consider our speech, consider who we're talking to and, you know, are, will they be willing to accept the wisdom we had? Or are they just going to be kind of foolish and to, to um, despise any wisdom that they're going to get? It's, it's better just to let them go and Mm -hmm. hope for, pray for a time to be able to, again, speak to them and be able to hopefully relay wisdom where they are, when they are ready to accept it. Yeah. All right. So these next two verses I will read together as well um, because they do flow uh, together. Uh, Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. And we've talked about this previously when it talks about moving these landmarks, these boundary lines. Um, and so when you think about this, you're encroaching upon someone else's property, someone else's land. Uh, and, and like I said, we have talked about this, uh, in the past because this has come up in Proverbs previously. Um, but we're not to do this. And we also think of the, the way in which God gave the land of Israel to the Israelites and broke it down by tribes. They had their own portions of the land. And then even within that tribe, they had parts of the land that belonged to them. And when you think about this, like it's not encroaching upon their land. It's not trying to to take their land for your benefit. Um, uh, And even when you consider this redeemer, we think, I think of every time I hear redeemer, um, we think of God as the redeemer. Christ is our redeemer. But I think of Boaz in the book of Ruth where there was a other kinsman redeemer who was first in line before Boaz to redeem that land and to have that property so that that person 
that that uh, um, um, relative doesn't lose that portion of their land. There's one that can come and redeem it for them. But um, he also would have had to take Ruth, and he didn't want to take Ruth. And so Boaz then is this kinsman redeemer who does so. Um, but also we think of that, and that's just a picture of the redeemer that is in Christ who comes and redeems us. And we think of the fact that the Bible tells us that Christ is a father to the fatherless. And so even more so of taking someone's boundary or their their land, encroaching upon it, moving a landmark so that you can say it's your land, um, it says entering the fields of the fatherless. And that's a big thing here. You're trying to take advantage of someone who does not have a father who's able to, to step in and intercede, but the Redeemer will, right? And so that's a, a warning there for us as well to consider. Yeah, the the person who's moving the ancient landmark, who is entering the fields of the fatherless, they are in fact breaking the um, eighth commandment mm-hmm. that we shall not steal. They're taking unlawfully their neighbor's land and wealth and kind of and how to to think about this. So not only are you sinning against a person, you are sinning against God. Mm-hmm. And as the verse 11 tells you, their redeemer, the one who protects the widows and the fatherless mm-hmm. is strong. You cannot overtake him and he will plead their case against you because he knows the motives of the heart. You desired the, the you desired in this sense to, to acquire wealth by taking land because land had value that mm-hmm. one could use and now now you're going to have to face the judge and on the esv here i haven't checked other translations they capitalize redeemer they're making the interpretive that this is not just you know a redeemer like boaz but that this is the redeemer this right. is the lord who is going to come and plead the case against you right mm-hmm. and today you know we may Again, it calls us to not be ones to take other people's property, to not steal from others because it's theirs. And especially when you steal from the poor, when you steal from people who need it, you've caused injuries to this person. And the Lord's aware of this. And so we should consider how we act and what we do with stuff that people give to us and just our own desires to gain wealth in unworthy ways by mm-hmm. stealing it from others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a huge point because um we live in a time um which is nothing new because there's nothing new under the sun. The hearts of people have always been totally depraved apart from God. We are, we are wretched sinners apart from the grace of God. Um, and so the theft or stealing of somebody's property is a big thing. I mean, it was a big thing um, because it was divvied out in the land for the, the, the Israelites. But ultimately, it, it then does apply to this fact of the Ten Commandments, this moral law that you're stealing, like you said, Mike, you're taking from your neighbor for your own benefit. And the scriptures teach us as Christians, as Christians, we shouldn't be doing this period because the scriptures teach us as Christians, we are not to seek the benefit of ourselves, but the benefit of others, you know? Um, And, and uh, you know, we're not to be selfish like that. Uh, 
and to see how, again, how this can gain me wealth, uh, but to love our neighbor. Um, and loving your neighbor is not stealing from your neighbor, right? It's loving your neighbor. All right, so our, our last verse here for uh, tonight's program is apply your heart in the title of the show. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to the words of knowledge. And I think as Solomon writes this, we can look at this and say, one, follow the instructions of your parents, children. Uh -huh. um, follow the instructions or listen to or heed the instructions uh, of the ministers of the word of God your pastors, your elders, the, the, the teachers within your church who are helping to, to guide you uh, in truth and to understand that truth from God's Word. Um, listen and to, the, to the, uh, the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. Be informed as the Holy Spirit is teaching you and guiding you as well and leading you into all truth. Um, and to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the instruction that's given us there. Um, so I think we, we can see that this idea and we've, we've, we've talked about it before, because again, it's not the first time that it's been given to us to heed the instruction, to apply our hearts to it, to turn our ear to it, um, to be inclined <clears throat> to have our hearts inclined to the instruction that's given. Um, because again, wisdom is knowledge applied. You're taking what the knowledge is presented before you and applying it in your life. So take heed to this instruction, apply it in your life, and walk it out as a believer in Christ that you might honor the Lord, that you might bring glory to His name in your actions and be a light, a city on a hill that shines to the rest of the world. We follow Christ. We live this way because of our love for our Messiah who came, our Redeemer who came uh, to, uh, uh, to save us. Yeah, I think there you have that. You know, the, the importance, and I know we oftentimes think of like, you know, if my kid was next to me, like, listen, see, it says apply, apply your heart and, and point to others. But I think to emphasize it, um, that in this sinful state that we find ourselves is that we need to constantly search for and hear instruction and mm -hmm. knowledge to be in relationship with those who are wise we've we've talked about this in other proverbs that those who are around wise people become wise themselves mm -hmm. and so to apply our heart to instructions to apply our ears to the words of knowledge is to go and to search and to find wisdom to and we find it as you mentioned through god's word through meditation, asking the spirit to give us or asking God through the spirit to give us wisdom to be ones who are in church and listening to the word and applying the wisdom together as a congregation, as we think about and meditate what we've heard and just the, the act of discipleship mm -hmm. of being discipled yourself in one, then also in turns, hoping, discipling others. And I think it caused cause us really to what we think about is when we started this episode, a lot of it was about applying our hearts for wealth, for power, prestige. And as we end this episode, we get to this idea that we need to apply ourselves to God, to knowledge. What's the beginning of the wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. 
and the Lord gives us instructions. The Bible is given to us so that we can be instructed, that we may be adequately and equipped to do all good works. And so to think about the ultimate goal of what Solomon wants us to do is to apply our hearts to know God and to act like people who have been redeemed by the God of Israel, to act like people who reflect the image of the all-wise and powerful God. And, you know, we can chastise the Presbyterians for, you know, being man-centric in their first question, but in the end, they're right that our, the chief and the man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And we do that by applying our hearts to the wisdom that he gives to us in his word, through his people, by his spirit. Yeah, when you mentioned about uh, being wise by the company you keep, if you, if you hang around wise men, you're going to... Uh, be wise. You're going to, to, to be like that. And it made me think of actually a verse we've already covered in Proverbs, uh, verse, uh, 13, 20, um, where it says, let me look at the ESV here. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And so mm-hmm. look at the company you keep, you know, as you mentioned, <clears throat> if you're, if you're seeking the wisdom of God and you surround yourself with people who are going to help build you up in that and help you grow in your walk and are going to come alongside and help to disciple you mainly, hopefully from your local church. Um, but if there is maybe other guys who come alongside that as well, that are in your life, an older gentleman, gentleman that may help you in, that's experienced life as a married man with children, and he can help you maybe think through some things. It's not wrong to have one. Again, your local church hopefully is, is the primary source of this or people within your local church, but then having others as well that might come alongside um, and, and live life with you in that sense. But you gain wisdom from keeping a companion with wise men. Uh, but if you look at the a bad apple corrupts, and so if if you look at your friends and they're just all foolish individuals seeking for the the vain glory of this world, they're chasing after riches, chasing after pleasure, chasing after their own fl- uh, lust and desires, right? Then don't be surprised when you find yourself like them, right? And I think well, Solomon constantly pulls us back and calls us to heed these things. Because we can even take the example of Solomon's life, right? What does he do? He does the very things. This is the wisest man apart from Christ on earth. He's given wisdom. But what does he do? He multiplies wives, which he's not supposed to be doing. He multiplies his armies, his horses, and all these things, which he's not supposed to be doing. And because of this multiplication of these wives, his heart is turned from God. His heart is turned from God. And what do we see from this? all kinds of sinful things. The, the kingdom is taken from him. The, the kings after Solomon, it's split in two, and there's just mo- more and more debauchery from this family, right? And they're taken into captivity, Babylonian captivity, then the Assyrian captivity. Um, and it's, it's all a result of this is where you turned. You turned your heart this way. Um, you listen to fools rather than, than wisdom. 
from those who were, you know, putting those people around you and whatnot. And so it's something for us to really consider, to think about this, to apply our hearts to instruction, seek after it, um, to find those people that will help disciple us and that are wise, that can build us up. Okay, Mike, uh, last words, uh, and we will close out the program. Yeah, I think thinking on this, this final verse, um, that's why the Puritans are so much help in our lives. I know, well, not here at GG20, but in the broader culture, Puritans are looked as being holier than now and in kind of negative and in very negative ways. But what the Puritans help us with is this wisdom, knowledge, and applying it to our hearts, making us think through what they are. And they they champion what is often called experiential theology um, because they move from the the great doctrines, the true doctrines, and apply it to our hearts. And I made this analogy before, and I think it's helpful that in our own personal reformation, in a sense, is that God changes our knowledge, changes who we are, and we're scattered. We're Luther. And then as we grow, and hopefully we're growing in holiness in our deeds, but in one sense, we need knowledge, and it's become systematized. We become like Luther or um, Bootser. Um, and some of the other second reformers. But then ultimately this knowledge has to change who we are. And that's when you get to applying your heart to instructions. It's, it's affecting your very core and how you are doing things. And that's what wisdom, that's what the word is supposed to do. That is what wisdom's chief goal is. And it's, in one sense, what Paul says is that it is um, making us more like Christ. We're becoming, when we apply our heart to instruction, we apply our knowledge, we are becoming more like the Savior that we worship and adore. And again, that's where all true, being part of the Godhead, that's where all true wisdom comes for. And so... He's given us means in the church. He's given us means by his word. But in the end, wisdom makes us more like Christ. And that's what we all want. And that's been G220 Radio. Until next week. Actually, actually next week, we will not be here. Uh, it will be the 4th of July. And so we will be celebrating time and just family time with our families. But the, the week after that, we will be back with... Like threw me off. Now, after that, we will be back with uh, our show here on Proverbs, and we'll be covering uh, from chapter 13 onward uh, in part two of this book of Proverbs 23.